morning. We are having an exciting show because it means summer is around the bend. We have Mike Isaacson and Eric Pugh from the Muni. Good morning. Good morning. This is exciting because on Monday, you have the single tickets go on sale at 9 a.m. online at the box office. And if you call the box office MetroTix number. But I noticed that you have all day events planned. So tell me about that, because that's new. Yeah, so um, from nine to six, uh, the box office will be open. We are um, having upgrades on tickets every hour on the hour at random. We have a special car decal that you can get in person, only in person. Uh, we have the Holy Crepe food truck um, here from 12 to 1.30, and then from four to six. Uh, Barley and Vine drink truck will be here from four to six. Um, we also have sweet poppins here. We have gift baskets that has Cardinals and Muni, and we actually have an autographed um, puck from the blues um, in these gift baskets um, that you can win. So um, it's a lot, of, it's gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna be festive. Uh, we have balloons decorating the outside and other giveaways, um, you know, throughout the day. So it'll be a lot of fun. I think so. I think it sounds really fun and it's good to get back to Forest Park because you start your seven show season on June 13th and you haven't had a seven show season since 2019. No, no, we have not. Um, yes, I'm sure you're aware. It was kind of buried, but there was this thing called the pandemic. <laughs> Sorry, gallows humor. Uh, yeah, no, we are back. We are back fully. And uh, that is thrilling and daunting and uh, amazing and just grateful. Gratitude's the only word that really comes to mind. I mean, last summer I was so, I was so proud of everybody, all my colleagues at the Muni for what we accomplished with the five show season. And, you know, really the, the community and, you know, I need to really honor the Muni board. Everybody embraced that vision. Uh, I, you know, I can tell you, I felt very, very strongly that if we, if, if we had done one show and then shut down, the community would have been happy. Like they, we had uh, given our history and our tradition and our place in people's lives and their hearts. We had to be there. We had to be there and we had to go as far as we can go. And the fact that we, you know, that four and a half in was amazing. And I was so proud of honestly, all the work, all the shows, because we're still in this moment where, you know, we got the new stage in 2019 and we're still learning. We're learning its tools. We're learning what it can give to our storytelling. So, I mean, it, it really, you know, I, it, it's hard to explain, but a lot of what we do, particularly when we click into this season, um, it's there's muscle memory that comes into play. And there was, you know, a year off without muscle memory and we didn't hadn't developed a lot of muscle memory with the stage. So, I mean, it was a lot on everybody and everybody embraced the challenge and it was mighty with grace and humor, which is number one backstage at the Muni. You know, I'm a, people are like, how do I get to work for you? I'm like, if you're funny, you're hired. It's that simple. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm kidding? Trust me, it helps a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, 
you know, a mountain to climb and we did it. But then the audiences, the audiences came in droves and there was an energy and a gratitude and an excitement and the applause. I mean, it really was something that I'll, you know, I'll never forget. And so, you know, now that we're back and seven shows and, uh, you know, here's the new normal and here we go. I saw that you had said you could you could scoop the joy from the audience last year. And I think that that's such a great way to say it. And Kofi said that people lit up on their way in to the Muni. And I said opening night to my friend, I will never, ever take this for granted ever again, because the Muni is so much a part of St. Louis and you have this routine and I'm sure for for you all I I know you work year-round on it but it's summer Muni is summer a friend of mine who's been a long time season ticket holder said one time summer is when the Muni starts uh to me and he said you know then the fall is is something else but he said summer is when the Muni starts. And I think a lot of people feel like that who, who've grown up here, but the fact that you were able to pivot in 2020 when like we were bracing ourselves, like, oh, they're gonna cancel. Of course they're gonna cancel. And then yes, you're gonna try something. But then you, you had that summer variety show where you took the best parts of the Muni and you took these performers and you did these variety shows and they made me practically well up with tears uh, so many times because we saw what we were missing and we also learned a new appreciation for the Muni. So that was yeah, fantastic. I, I, think that that's, I, I think, you know, I think that's really insightful, Lynn. And one of the things that happened, um, you know, I, I, I've said this, that one of the challenges of being an institution, which the Muni is, is in many ways, because you're always there, you're never really seen. So part of the obligation, part of the challenge constantly, and actually a lot of it falls on Eric, is to find ways to newly remind people of your mission, how special you are, what, what this gift that's waiting for them. But you know, you've been there for 104 years. They they think they know it, right? You know, it's you know, and, and I'm, I'm sure the art museum deals with this. And you know, it's just it's part of what you have as an institution. What happened, I think, during COVID. Um, you know, was exactly what you talked about by missing it, people actually had to think about it and reflect on their relationship to it and what it means to them, which was why the power was all the more. I mean, when we put single tickets on sale last year, we had no idea what was gonna happen. You know, you know, essentially you go, okay, are our friend's gonna be there and it was incredible. So there, I, I do remember, you know, we were kept, um, you know, in order to get through, we had very clear COVID protocols and we were essentially in bubbles. Backstage was a bubble and <clears throat> I rarely went into the audience and I, I usually do during the season when they're a lot watching the shows, you know, whatever. But one time I had to see something and I sort of snuck out. I went to a section where I was kind of all by myself, so it was fine. And all of a sudden this woman comes storming up to me. She's like, you! And I was like, okay, here we go. You know, <laughs> usually, usually not a good thing. And I said, hi, how are you? And it was, I I just will never forget this. This is an absolutely true story. She looked at me 
And she took her hand over because I was over way over in one of the side sections. She sort of spread across the audience in the stage and she said this, this. And I said, yes, this. <laughs> and she said, we took it all for granted. We took it all for granted. And I'm never going to do that again. This is amazing. This is amazing what we do. This is amazing that we're here. It's amazing what you all do for us. And I think that that was an experience of what happened to a degree. You know, it's, it's, it's not until you lose something that you might realize its real value and its place. So, you know, I, I, I look at that as a gift. And the interesting thing about the variety show was, you know, that was the Muni doing in the sense what we constantly have to do of, we don't have any time, we have this, we have to do something amazing, let's go. And everybody within the institution, I mean, literally everybody, we did a Zoom call earlier and I say, congratulations, we are all television producers. And you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this and people were like, what? I'm like, we don't have time for questions, go. And that came together. And what was interesting about it was the, the first was on July 23rd. And if you remember what was happening in July of 2020, that's when word was really seeping in like, oh, this is not done in the fall. We are in this for the long haul. And there was this sort of sadness that was seeping in. I mean, it really was, you began to really understand the impact because March, April, May, everybody was, you know, optimistic and maybe this thing and, we'll, you know, and it was just like, oh no, this is going to be life for a while. And people were really struggling and it was, it was a timing thing. And that first episode, just hit people at a moment where they needed to be reminded of what was waiting for them and reminding what they had. And the impact was crazy. And, you know, I remember because again, I was like by myself standing on a box in front of a tree, in front of a TV camera. I'd never done any of this, right? Mm -hmm. We all had to do what we had to do. And I remember I had a bench and I had put my cell phone to the right and I was talking like 12 minutes into the show, we had done the opening with the Little Mermaid Overture, so gorgeous, and all of that. And literally, it's the cliche, my phone was exploding. And I knew, I thought, oh, we're, we, we've hit something. We've, you, you just sort of know that occasionally you're lucky or whatever, you get these moments where the moment meets what you're offering or what you're offering meets a moment and it just sort of goes to a bigger place. And those shows went to a bigger place because it gave people their summer ritual. It gave them a reminder. You saw people creating in a time when we didn't have a lot of creativity. It was all the things we needed right then at that moment. And, you know, and then typical of the Muni, it's there and it's gone. Yeah. No, yeah. but that's well, part it, of its yeah. power. You know, no reruns, this is it, be here. Right, and it was a, a connection that people felt because yeah. I'll because it was very isolating, uh, and because uh, we were a lot, you know, this is pre-vaccine. I always call the pandemic pre-vaccine, post-vaccine, because we're still in it. It's just a different world. We can function, but that fact that we could all connect with that same connection, the cat, uh, the people in New York, the the longtime performers, the people you you had family pictures of people gathered uh, on uh, you know in dens and outside and watching it, and it just felt like a community again. That that's what we cherish. 
uh, about going to the Muni, but the fact that last year you had 192,000 people come to the park and and buy tickets, and also you had 50,000 free tickets too. We always have to mention that. But the fact that people came and Smokey Joe's first show was a brilliant move because that set, which won the St. Louis Theater Circle Award, was such a love letter to St. Louis. Yeah. And, I, and I have to give I have to give credit, all credit to that idea, to our brilliant director, Marsha Mugamdraj. I had always known I was going to um, do Smokey Joe's at some point. And, you know, reviews are tricky on our stage. I haven't done a lot. You know, um, they're a tricky form to pull off. And I wanted our stage to have what we have now. And, but, you know, I mean, Marsha's done so much extraordinary work for us. And as happenstance, like I'm thinking, all right, Smokey Joe's, let, let's really begin investigating it. And I'm like doing research in Google. And then up came up that, you know, Marsha had done this extraordinary production in Chicago where she based it in a Chicago neighborhood. And, and, uh, and I called her and I said, what would, what would you think if we did this here and let's find the right St. Louis neighborhood? And she's like, oh, I love it. I love it. It's great. Let's do it. You know, in typical of Marsha, eight minutes later, we're going to we're do Gaslight Square. Everything happened in Gaslight Square. I'm like, yeah, Marsha, I know about Gaslight. And she's like telling me the history of Gaslight Square. I'm like, <laughs> I know it. I appreciate it. But it was um, really her insight. And, you know, it allowed, you know, any, any, any work, you know, if, I don't know if you read the Mike Nichols biography that came out in the last year, but there's a quote in there where he just says something that I agree with. Everybody sits down in the theater and they ask two questions. What is this about and why do you need me? And if the answer to the both questions is not, oh, it's about me, you're gone. There's no reason to be there. And so by giving it that frame, it invited the audience into it of the, here's our history and here's our world and here's an homage and here's some fun and, and here's a look and a style, which then allowed the audience to get to some of the more beautiful, deeper things that Marsha had pulled out of the show and, and getting all those characters and in a sense of through line of community. You know, it was ultimately an expression of community. And as you sort of alluded to, you can, it's very kind to say it's a genius move it just, there it was, it was, you know, scheduling its own thing. It was the right idea at the right moment in the right way. And I will never, ever, for, you know, because the other thing that happened was, you know, when we made the announcement and it's all a blur, I want to say January, February, okay, here's what we're doing. We're moving to July and we're going to go, you know, Delta was not a public word yet. And then word began in April, May about the Delta surge. And it really began to impact, you know, in July. And I remember thinking really strongly, oh, have I let everybody off a cliff here? Was this like really huge self-doubts? And um, that opening night of Smokey Joe's, when that cast walked out on stage and marched the stage, it's so simply, it was just everybody entering and beginning I've never heard an ovation like that ever at the Muni. I mean, it was, it was, well, no, it, I will match it with the night Beth level in the rain, but 
it was from the gut. It was, it was a different kind of noise. It was a different kind of expression. And I remember I was standing next to Tim McDonald, who's um, our tech director, an amazing man and asset and, you know, what he's done for us. And we were just, we heard that and we just looked at each other and he looked at me, he goes, we're effing doing this. I said, we're effing doing this. <laughs> and, you know, it was like, okay, the balloon got filled up and whatever it was, here we go. But yeah, that, that, so all of those elements for Smokey Joe's just sort of were there. Yeah, and then the next week was Sound of Music, and it was fifty-five thousand, which was the highest attended show. And you could feel the audience; you could feel that energy because people love that show so much, and it's you know classic show and the meaning. But you could feel I I've just never felt a crowd like that, and and that was that was many people because. You know, it's not everybody. People go to different shows, but since that show so uh, sold so many tickets, that was probably the first time many people were back too, and so that was great. But just a nod to the Smoky Joes, just having like the little teeniest details on that big stage, just like a stick spare and fuller bag. Yeah. I remember yeah. telling on KTRS, I told uh, Jennifer Blome and Wendy Weiss, I go, there's a stick spare and fuller bag <laughs> <laughs> because that means something to people, you know, of a certain age. Yeah. And, and just the detail of that was just remarkable. And I was just like, this is just so brilliant. But uh, leading on to uh, the current season, uh, Chicago ended the season and they had a rain out. And then mm -hmm. three performances canceled because of COVID. And that was so sad, but I, I feel very fortunate to have seen it. And uh, you uh, swept our St. Louis Theater Circle Awards with seven for Chicago. Yeah, we were really honored by that. Two for Dennis Jones. He's won before for our choreography because he's just a brilliant choreographer, but also his direction of that. I kept telling people, because uh, it was the third time it was at the Muni. And I kept saying to people, this is the best produced show of the year. It's just everything about it is on point, was so perfect. And then that just had to be so crushing because here is this great run. I know people that hadn't even gone to the Muni yet at the summer, they were saying, well, I think I'm going to go to Chicago because because uh, you guys are all talking about how good it is. So I think I'll go. Yeah, it was, you know, it's exactly as you described, and it was heartbreaking, you know? I mean, again, all of this was unprecedented, right? Right. So as we were going through the week and we saw the buildup of, of cases, we had already had, by the time we got to Thursday night, so we did Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday was rained out, Thursday there, and by Thursday night, we had two understudies on in the show brilliant you never knew um so we were sort of we had no bench after that and then the next day we got the report of one i think one if not two more cases i can't remember and you know at that point again you know the weird the the, the experience we've all had with this pandemic is the information changes every two months right it's that it's been that fast so where people's heads were in october August and understanding what may or may not be is going is now very different as you allude, you know, 
in June, but at that moment, you know, the unease backstage from a lot of people was we just, we need to do the right thing and stop. I think for the actors, it was incredibly hard because they were so proud of the production and they were having the time of their lives. And you know, that artists, they wanna do great work. They wanna be involved in something that's exciting and everybody sort of knew it with that production. And so to sort of, you know, be going a hundred miles an hour then suddenly stop, it was, really hard the zoom where we had everybody on and we had to tell them you know it was one of the hardest moments at least in my journey at the muni um i'll never forget some of the faces and, and the shock and the fear you know what's happening and all of that you know yeah. to everyone's and really to the audience's credit I, I, you know getting the rights to chicago is a very hard thing because it's still on broadway and national tours and we're very fortunate to have a someone who loves the muni and uh, the sort of managing producer of Chicago, Alicia Parker. And on that Friday, I called her and she was then doing Waitress on Broadway, which was having its own shutdown troubles. You got to look back, man, when all this was happening. And uh, I just called her and I said, is there any way I could be able to tell this cast, you know, I, we're coming back next year. And which is a really, I mean, it takes months and months for those other things because um, you saw this actually, if you saw Fosse Burden, Chicago is actually largely owned by the Gwen Burden estate. So it's a whole thing. Um, anyway, uh, and she called back 20 minutes later and said, you got it. So I was able to privately say to people, look it, we're doing it again. You know, and to one, they all said to us, if I can get back here, I will. You, you've got me. And I, I cannot believe as we're talking that all of those principal artists are returning for this production. The odds of that, you talk about needle in a haystack of that working with everyone's professional personal schedules, but they're all returning, which is such a tribute to what the audience gave them, the excitement around this production and, and their pride in it. Which is, which is remarkable. I just love the story itself of when it was at the Muni uh, in 1977 and I was actually there and it wasn't well received, but I always say it's a show ahead of its time. <laughs> it wasn't the time there. And I remember that was the time of a chorus line. And uh, one of the early, in fact, we could go on for this, but we'll save this for another day. But a chorus line has such a great lineage connected to the Muni, the early cre the creators and some of the original cast. And one of the original cast told me, that uh, to just get people to uh, be in a chorus line because all these people thought Chicago was going to be the show. And so they were picking Chicago over chorus line and then the chorus line became the phenomenon it is. And so when it was at the Muni in 1977, Muni audiences were not ready for it. And it sat and then you took over the Muni and you said, this is the number one show on the survey for years and you brought it and that was 2012 and Dennis Jones also did it and it was so staged so well with the with the type of little speakeasy cabaret mm -hmm. uh, setting and then this one he reimagined for well yeah it was great it was just great it's really insightful Lynn I would say that part of the joy of it for me of the production was going to Dennis and saying, look it, 
we did this together, I guess it would have been nine, 10 years ago, I don't know. Um, but we now have a new stage. We've grown, you've grown. Do you wanna come and do it again? And with everything we are as professionals now, what the Muni is now, and he just embraced it in such a remarkable way. So you can literally see, you know, you look at it. it it's funny because I am incredibly proud of that original production in 2012, but there, there are photos of the early years, 2012, 13, 14, like I almost can't look at because I know now we have the ability to do those in a, in a more beautiful, you know, in a, in a better way. We just got better as we went through, but to sort of have these bookmarks of the two Chicago, because that production of Chicago was where I knew the 2012 one. I was like, oh, this audience gets it. This audience is with me. Now I got to get everything between me and them in line. That literally was what I learned that night when Patty Murin came out of that stage and the whole audience gasped. And the other thing that happened that has not happened since I don't recall was I mean, the other thing I remember about my first season, 2012, was it remains the hottest summer in the history of St. Louis <laughs> on record, right? There wasn't a day below 100. Okay, fine. So we're all sitting there. And this is when we had the old fans, right? Oh, so yeah. it, we didn't have airflow during the show, everything we have now that makes it so comfortable. Um, and I remember the, I was so tired. And I sat down next to my, well, now husband, and I felt like a carcass. And I really, at that point, I thought, have I made a major mistake here? Like, have I, what, what's happening here? And I turned to him and I said, I got nothing. You got to tell me this is any good. I don't even know where I'm at right now. And I remember that moment when Patty came out, the thing, the stage, and there was a woman behind me who said, oh, that's wonderful. I've never seen that before. I thought, well, that's interesting. They're really, really watching. And the momentum of that production, it built and built. And then the end of the first act was this stunning ovation, like crazy. And it was like 140 degrees, right? If everybody had gone, I would have understood. And it was this huge thing. And then, you know, at, you know, we had the lights and something go, right? You know, and usually when we do that, that ends all applause, right? It's sort of signal, okay, take your, you know, go get something, go to the restroom, whatever, take a break. And they did that and everyone kept applauding. And I thought, oh, this dance has begun. Here we go. Like, let's see how far we can dance together, how, what, what, we, what we can all create together. But that, that Dennis Jones, and I, and I said that to him. I said, You're, I still, that production of Chicago changed the trajectory of the Muni. And, and it, you, it made you uh, able to do more, uh, to take more chances. But I still think, as in last year, because it was endlessly surprising, that it's a, it's a show uh, that speaks more to our time now than it did well, then. Wait, I mean, I mean, again, it's a whole other thing, but your core sign Chicago conversation is correct. And what you have to remember is the Broadway revival of Chicago, the one that's still running, that is fantastic literally happened during OJ. So here we had a national conversation about a murderous celebrity, or I can't remember, was he, I guess he was not guilty, but then he was convicted. I don't know, let's just say not guilty. Um, but that whole thing in the press and, and celebrity and all of this and this machine being used, 
So it felt like you couldn't believe this thing was written in 1975. And it still feels that way. Like it felt that way last summer at the Muni. The story was, well, this could have been written today. I mean, people who didn't know Chicago said to me like, wait, this was written when? Like you, it, it, it talks about that. And I actually think in a long-term thing, I think Chicago's greatness and relevance will outlast a chorus line. I really do. Yeah, it's, it's just in, interesting. Well, the survey, how important is the survey every year? Because I heard you say that Sweeney Todd was high up on the survey and now it's in this year's rotation. You have two world premieres. I mean, two Muni premieres, two mm-hmm. Muni premieres. And then uh, we have the epic return of Chicago. But how important is that audience survey? Because I used to think that it was just not really paid attention to. <laughs> no, no, it's absolutely, it's, it's, uh, it is absolutely paid attention to and used. Um, it's, you know, it's so interesting because I get asked sort of this question a lot. And I say this, like, let me just get through this. It's actually the least interesting part of the job because like, you know, how do you select the shows and all that? And I said, you know, and, I, and I've been very public about this. Seven shows. I have always done from day one, at least two shows in each season that have never been on the mini stage before. So you have Sweeney this season and Color Purple. There, mini premieres. I've always done two classics. So this season it's Camelot. And then you get the interesting question of Camelot. I mean, a a classic, classic to whom and of what generation? I would actually offer that I think Chicago is a contemporary classic and it was part of the canon. So that to me sort of checks off that box. But you can also argue Joseph is the same thing. It is a classic to three generations at this point who really deeply love that show. So those are there. Then there's always one big family ritual blockbuster, Disney's whatever this season, the glorious Mary Poppins. And then you have the last two um, that really tear what's left of my hair out. And you look at, but you look at the other five and you go, where are we musically? Where are we historically? Where that? So you sort of have these parameters. And then we have the survey, so I can sort of put them next to each other. And then you sort of go, you know, I mean, like if you, if, and, and I will say this, and it, it's not meant as any sort of disrespect, I never get survey results I'm surprised at. Like once we send it out, I do my predictions and I'm always right. Because you see things certain categorized and you also have the thing is the lower it is on the list alphabetically, statistically, the less people are gonna go. So you have to sort of look at how the tool is. When we went online, that sort of re-skewed some things, which was great. Um, but you look at it, the sort of statistical measures, but you sort of get these categories. You get, you know, you're always gonna get, you know, if you put Beauty and the Beast on there, it's always gonna be number one, right? So you're not gonna put Beauty and the Beast and the Little Mermaid on if you're not thinking of doing it because it's sort of, you know, like, so you get these sort of genre groups of statistical numbers where you sort of go, okay, so you get a sense of where the audience is on these different forms and types, which is incredibly helpful. Then I, you know, I look at, for the classics, let's say, when is the last time we've done it? And for me, the longer, the better. So 
you know, uh, there was a theory in the past before me of every five years and it was burning out the audience. And my feeling is with a classic, the, the most you should do it if possible is every seven years because then you're seeing it once a decade. And I think you should see West Side Story once a decade, or I think you should see, you know, the, those things. I think they are American greatness. I think they are something to bring your kids to and share and, and something we've created. So that's part of it. But then the other thing I have got to, I've got to measure is what's actually available because we're in an ecosystem of Broadway and national tours and, and things. And sometimes things are just not available for us to produce. So then I get into certain areas where I'm considering, and that's where the survey really becomes helpful, kind of looking at those and, and where it may be. Does the survey always end up in box office results? I'm not sure of that, meaning I don't know because there's so many other factors that can go into when you buy a ticket to Muni during the summer, travel, weather. It's, there's never any direct correlation but at the end of the day, what I've always been trying to do, and you know, success is always somebody else's judgment, is if you look at the seven together, no matter who you are in St. Louis, in our incredibly rich, diverse community, and also literally going 90 miles out, is there at least one you would want to see based on who you are? You know, because tastes are widely varying, and if you try to please everyone, you fail. And so if I feel like using the survey to help me guide to that is an incredible tool. I used to write in your before era, I used to write into the woods on the survey for mm -hmm. years. And well, then I mean, I mean, I will say that's the thing with Sweeney. Sweeney, there are certain shows that people are so passionate about. Right. And from day one, when I started, people come to me, when are we doing Sweeney? When are we doing Sweeney? And, you know, people think, you know, I was, you know, the audience was catching up. It wasn't the audience. I needed the stage to catch up in order to do that show, to have what we have now to really tell that story beautifully. Um, well, I think it's really going to bring in a whole new uh, a, a crop of muni goers. I think it'll mm -hmm. really target young people, but also so many people have never seen it. I've heard that from people that I'm surprised oh. at that go to theater all the time. And so I think there's an excitement. And then also, sadly, Stephen Sondheim died in November. And so there's this uh, there's this growing swelling of appreciation for him about uh revisiting some of his his uh works and the fact that you had this on the schedule in 2020 and had to cancel it and then you have uh, such a fantastic cast for this and you have tony nominee carmen kusick and you have ben davis who's a muni favorite and uh I just, I just cannot wait for this because I think it's really exciting and it's that yin and yang because you have Sweeney Todd, which is uh, going to be different and fresh and the Muni interpretation of it, but then you have Mary Poppins, which is the, the family show, which I always, which you have said before, it's the gateway to, th th you know, it's the gateway to Muni, you know, like my grandmother took me to the kids show when in the sixties. And so that was my introduction to the Muni was the kids shows. And so I think a lot of people feel like that, but Mary Poppins is in its own little 
world and you again you have a, a fantastic cast for that so the casting that you have this year to me is out, off the charts because people are available or were available to come back yeah i mean i will say on this that uh, such a huge credit i need to do a shout out to some others uh particularly my artistic associate michael baxter who's been tireless on working on casting and we work with the Telsey agency in New York to, to help us. Um, I will say right now, this year has been, it, it, maybe it just feels this way, but it's been one of the most challenging years on casting because the, the theater ecosystem around the country is still in chaos and production suddenly happening and things closing and, and that, and, you know, the, um, so I've had more people who have had to call and say, I'm so sorry. And, you know, part of that is not like they don't want to come to the Muni. The, you know, I think it's important people know this. Um, you know, actors, actors equity members have to work 22 weeks a year to get health insurance. And the Muni is a three-week contract. So sometimes an, an artist will call me and say, I have to take this other gig in order to have health insurance for the year for my family. And of course I understand that, you know, when people sure. say, how can I help the arts in America? I'm like, it's very simple, healthcare for all. It would completely change the arts in America. It really would, the theater, I can't speak to visual. Um, but so we, you know, there's been a lot of that, but um, yeah, I mean, particularly when you talk about Sweeney, you know, Ben had this part three years ago, we'd had the conversations and the fact that he's hung on and been so loyal. I mean, that with both Sweeney and Poppins, I'm mean, same with Corbin as Burton Poppins. I mean, he and I had those conversations in 2018 after he did that extraordinary singing in the rain. St. Louis you know, Theater Circle, best actor yeah. in a musical. Yeah. And, you know, I said to him, what's your dream roles? When I said, you know, I think Poppins is coming up. He's like, I'd love to play Bert. I said, great, it's yours. You know, and him hanging on now for three, four years to come and do this. It's thrilling. And Jenna DeWalt, she played mm -hmm. uh, Princess Diana on Broadway. And I did see the HBO version of it. And while I wasn't a fan of the musical. I thought she was extraordinary. Her voice is so beautiful. Yeah. And and that casting just seems really made in heaven. But I'm glad to see to see her first time at the at the Muni. And yeah. uh, it'll be it'll she, it'll be very interesting. She's delightful. Uh I actually was opening at opening night on uh Diana on Broadway and I was like huh, I'm not sure this show's going to last, but boy, she'd be a great Poppins. <laughs> it was a little bit like, oh, let's see how this fares. And the show did end up closing. I don't remember when, December or so. Yeah, and so we made, go ahead. Yeah, we made, we made the offer and absolutely she said came, but then she came through St. Louis in, it's all a blur. What are we in May? I think in March or something, she was at Blue Strawberry. She did her cabaret show. So, you know, I went and met her and hilarious and so again funny funny gets you in the muni uh and delightful and then suddenly she goes she goes am i flying and i said yes over ten thousand people she was like oh well that'll be something i'm like yes it will <laughs> i was i actually met two people who worked for disney in orlando yesterday 
And they were telling me about how Mary Poppins is such a big deal at Disney World and how the uh, strength of the enduring classic has funded a lot of things at Disney World because they call it Mapo, Mary Poppins. But (laughs) she, she, uh, so they were telling me about this and I said, you have got to come to the Muni some summer and see one of the Disney productions because you would be blown away. And I was telling them about, uh, oh, they were telling me about Beauty and the Beast, about when they opened that section with Bell's Ballroom. They had a special guest, Alan Menken, come with his wife and he danced with his wife in the ballroom. And, and this guy was telling me how special that was because they didn't know who the special guest was. And then it was Alan Menken and it was before it was all set. And I was saying, well, you have got to come to the Muni and you, uh, the Little Mermaid, which drew a, a remarkable amount of people the last run it had. And then I said, Mary Poppins, they will fly. They're gonna fly Mary Poppins. And they both looked at me. Well, maybe we should come to the music. (laughs) You really need to see what you all do in those. And even with Tarzan, uh, just the amount of effort that goes into one of the Disney classics is truly remarkable. I told them about the, Ursula costume. Yeah. Again, that's, uh, you know, all credit to Marsha Mugham Gaj. And then also we work with a group in New York called Puppet Kitchen, who are actually going to do the, some puppets for Mary Poppins this year because it's a John Tartaglia production. So you got to have puppets. And um, there, Willoughby is going to be a, a really charming puppet and all kinds of things. But, you know, that was really, they came up with that. And it was one of those things where, you know, you never know it's going to work. Uh, it was Emily Skinner, who's also returning in Chicago. She was Ursula, but they were developing it downtown. And, you know, you want to make sure the actor is really engaged and excited by what you're doing, you know, because the last thing they want is come someplace and the prosthetics or something change what they can offer, right? So I called her, I said, look, they're kind of playing downtown with this thing. Would you be willing to just run down there and, and try it out and see if you're comfortable with it? And she's like, oh yeah, sure. So she went down there. She called there after she goes, I love this so much. This is going to be so amazing. And I'll never forget, you know, because she made her entrance, we took the turntable out and she sort of spun, she was there and you could tell the audience was like, huh, what is this? And when that first Muni teen sort of moved as a tentacle, the place just went crazy and it was just a beautiful big vivid theatrical idea Marsha Milk and Dodge well the fact that the little girls come with their aerial outfits on and Mm -hmm. the bell outfits on and Cinderella outfits on I just find that adorable that these little kids all dress up and come to the Muni and they might fall asleep but they're there Yeah. In, in spirit. And that's yeah. so great. Well, one of the stories you told during Newsies was that it was on the survey and people thought it was a musical and, and people would put it on the survey. And then you finally did it, which was uh, that was the the best that summer. That was just so, 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 so good. <laughs> you know, so I just think all the elements combined, like the dancers are better than ever, mm. but they Thank can you. do is 
uh, just amazing. So Chicago won for choreography, but then you have the other shows we haven't talked about. Legally Bond and Joseph has a lot of dance in it too. Yeah, Joseph is, uh, you know, uh, Joseph is the return of Josh Rhodes and Lee Wilkins as sort of the artistic helm. And we've got uh, Ed Haynes who did the set for um, Smokey Joe's is doing the set for Joseph. And we had our, our production call yesterday. And, you know, the thing about something like Joseph is, uh, you know, it just creates joy in the audience. It's one of those shows where it just does. And those are very rare. And that's why I think it's it's been a part of the canon and you know they wrote it for kids originally it wasn't even meant to be on stage and it sort of had its own life that's grown so uh yes and the choreography the show just kind of never stops dancing which is thrilling on our stage i mean and that is definitely a value um that i have put more into all our productions i think we're living in a time where people love dance I think physicality and movement is a part of our lives. Uh, I would say my, uh, some, you know, earlier people before me, they, they sort of limited, they thought it was all about the voice. And I think it's a combination of many elements that really inspire people to engage in a story and move out. And choreogra choreography on our stage, when it is well ex executed is thrilling because nobody else can do what we do. That number of bodies, that, that level of space, so if the mission is, and the mission is, or you know, at least what I believe is this whole thing should be a gift for people of St. Louis to have something that you know, well, only here, only here can something like this be creative. That level of choreography is really, really important. And now, and this is why I'm so excited about Josh and Lee doing Joseph. You know, if you look at what they did with Paint and Wagon and also last year with Seven Brides, they make the sets dance too. They, they really have a whole sense of cinematic movement and stuff that for something like Joseph is just perfect. When uh, Young Frankenstein, even Young Frankenstein, when the putting on the Ritz, when you have mm -hmm. all those dancers in tails and top hats and canes do that, and it was just nonstop. I mean, just little, <laughs> little moves like that. My Young Frankenstein story is so good because it was sensational, and that was... Marsha directing and Josh choreographing. We were about four weeks, four performances into it and people were going nuts. It was really good. And I ran into what I would call lovingly an arts snob in the West End. And she looked at me, she goes, I'm hearing I'm supposed to see young Frankenstein. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, yes, you should. And she looked at me, she said, really? And I said, yes, you should. And I'll never forget because she came to the closing night. So I was sitting there and after the putting on the Ritz number, she turned and looked at me and mouthed, thank you. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, this, you're right. You should be thanking all of us. This was spectacular. It was. And the actor is back this year, isn't he? Uh, yeah. Robert Petkoff. Sorry. I'm going through that cast. Yeah, Robert I was going to say his name, but I thought, yes. am I right? Yeah. Yeah. He's our, he's our Arthur in Camelot. Which again, um, yeah. I just, I, I've had two people tell me, oh, that's the show I most want to see. And I was really surprised at that because I love it, but you know, I'm a sixties kid. So it, it carries a lot from the sixties, but you have a new book. Yeah. So what happened is um, make a long story short, 
and it's a you know there's been books written the original book of camelot is clunky and even the authors say it and the show i think that the, the show's legend and why it became beloved were two things i, I do i personally think it's lorenzo's best score in many ways i mean those, those there's there's you know five unbeatable songs in that score at least and you know the whole kennedy association for a generation and 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 what that was and so it sort of became this thing but it was never really um on its own terms a successful a well-written musical i mean certainly when you compare it to my fair lady it wasn't um and it was also humongous so they what they were finding in time was a lot of theaters couldn't produce it so I'm gonna say about five, 10 years ago, the estate worked with David Lee, who's a writer. Uh, he was the supervising writer producer on Frasier for years. He's done a lot of theater work and they came up with a script uh, that I think is sensational. And it gives you everything you want in Camelot. And it, it focuses on the triangle because that's really where that story always was between Arthur Lancelot and Guinevere and the connection between the personal and the political. Lord knows we're living that time right now and focuses on those things. And it also gives it a whole element of storytelling as we're going along, the people on stage are creating the story of Camelot and sharing it with you. So it has this thing that uh, I think it was just sensational when I read it. Uh, and, and I said, you've got to let us use this script. And they said, absolutely. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and, you know, it's, probably say 70% of the original, maybe even 80, I don't know, but clopping those, uh, that 20% out, I think really, really helps the show. And that, you know, that is the challenge of, you know, we had, I mentioned it earlier, the classics and what makes a classic now. And it's always about the book really. And, you know, the original Camelot was written in 1962. I mean, think about that. So, you know, in some of those older musicals, so they reflect a certain idea, a certain sensibility that you know doesn't exist anymore and there's nothing wrong in that you know and i think you know i'm a big believer and again sort of circular quoting stephen sondheims musicals are not written for history they are written for a moment they are written for an audience and they're meant to be that and if they last so be it but that's not why you do it so this notion that things are frozen or they have to be what they always were has never made any sense to me because that's not what they do it. Now I've seen revisions of musicals I completely don't agree with. And then I see some that I think this is wildly successful. Chicago is one of them. If you actually look at that Broadway revival, it's very different script wise from the original 75 production. They went in and, and jiggered it and figured it out. Yeah. And aside, uh, you mentioned Mike Nichols before the, the great biography written by Mark Harris. And mm -hmm. uh, there's a film, a documentary on HBO called Becoming Mike Nichols. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how he and Elaine May were on Broadway uh, doing one of their shows and Richard Burton was in Camelot and they would meet at, at a bar in Schubert Alley after the shows and they got to talking and that's how he got Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor to be in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. So I always love these little connections that mm -hmm. you that you have like so-and-so knows so-and-so and that's how we got this and this is how, you know, we had that. 
And that's why I'd love to talk to you about the Muni casting, because it's just fortuitous how some things happen. And I know you have a deep history with Legally Blonde, and I love that show. And I it's just one of those fun, frothy, fizzy confections and endlessly quotable, but just a delightful show. So to talk about how how uh, connected you are, because you still st- uh, stay in contact with that Broadway cast. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when you and when you create a show together over many, many years, which is what it takes to do a Broadway musical, you do form these bonds and histories and friendships. It's uh, you know, it's the equation of like sort of going to high school together. You kind of always know each other, and you sort of track each other. But I will say that actually happens with a lot of muni companies too. They maintain, like, I know that Shrek company still has a chain. I know the Chicago company has a chain. Everything Rob McClure does always has a chain. Like you form a a very distinctive bond and you've shared a very singular experience. So you kind of cherish that. But, you know, it was interesting because for at the muni, uh, you know, we had that ex- an incredible team do um, on your feet last season, and it was Maggie Burroughs, Williams, Carlos Angulo, and Lon Hoyt, and they came to me and like, we hear you're thinking of doing Blonde, and we would love to do it as a team. And you know, when you have a team that knows each other and has a shorthand in that, and particularly, I like the idea of Maggie doing it because, you know, you can say it is on one level a joyous musical comedy, but women love that story in a way that is really something. The emails I have from both the original production and I received an email from uh, a friend who's a a, a woman attorney in town just the other day uh, talking about the show and what it meant to her and her friends in law school and that. So it, it actually talks about some things that really uh, women wrestle with and a certain cultural thing. But, you know, it's funny because I do have that history with the original production, but what I said to Maggie and the team was, look it, I need to get a little bit out of your way there because I have a history and I see things a certain way and I'm not sure that's gonna serve you here. So I want you guys to create your show and I will serve as a guide. I will say, if you're headed off some way, I'll say, here's what I know from the past, when we were at that idea at that moment, what worked and what didn't. If you're headed here, I would offer you this or that. So, I, you know, it's it's my job to make sure that what they're creating is absolutely theirs, the way they see the show. And this will be a very different production than um, the original Broadway production. The the opening will not be at a sorority house, and that's what I'm going to say. There's going to be something else very exciting and fun on the stage. And, you know, the only thing that's locked into the Broadway production is the dogs. The dogs know how to do one thing, get them in, get them out. And, you know, Bill Berloni was like, you got to do the dogs this way. And I said, I know, Bill, we'll, we'll make sure everybody does the dog this way. But everything else is uh, to sort of own it. I mean, but that's the thing. You know, the interesting thing about Legally Blonde, it was a show that did well in New York. It was sort of vaguely dismissed critically, sort of like, yeah, there it is. We went to London and they went out of their minds. It won the Olivier Award for Best Musical. Brent, you know, like there's so much wit and style in Nell's lyrics and the show is very well served by the Muni sound system. 
because that sound system is unbelievable. You hear every word. When many theaters, you don't. That's the reality of sound design today. Uh, so there, there is a tensile strength where the Muni stage and everything serves it. Um, but it's a really interesting journey with the show. And because it's been done in so many high schools and that it actually has, I, I think the show is more popular now than it was when we did it in 2007. I mean, it is beloved. And it's because people had time to appreciate it. And people had time to really, it's so deceptively smart that yes. it's, it's only when you get in there and people performed it themselves and they're like, this is, and, and it's, it's, you know, and I, I credit Nell and Nell Benjamin, the lyricist, Larry O'Keefe, the, the, the composer, Heather Hack, the book writer, but also Jerry Mitchell, who was the director of that original production, who worked with them on the structure of the show. And it really is just great. And we have, so we haven't announced that cast yet. I think we're probably doing it next week, Eric. We're, we're so close. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to tell uh, people that if you want to know casting, if you want to know uh, things, uh, your social media is fantastic. And you uh, have a segment, a minute with Mike Isaacson, and you talk about the show and you explain the show and you give your insight. And then there's also that a history of the show, which I love because I'm such a theater geek that I love finding out all this, this information. But I, I do think these teams together, like on your feet, that was actually my favorite of just an experience because it was so fresh and so fun. And those people were so incredibly talented. And Natasha Diaz won our Best Supporting Actress as Gloria Estefan's mother. But the couple, the real life couple, I just love that connection. And Omar, yeah, you, oh, just- the thing, the thing I also remember about that production that will forever William created a moment I'd always wanted to see on the stage. And I mean, not because I said, please create this moment, but I was waiting for it. And we had that moment in the first act when it sort of went into Gloria's memory in the town. She grew up in, you saw the little Gloria. And, you know, we opened that boom and there was that vast expanse town with just the clothesline. And then when it eventually went in that dance, he formed a circle, a circle of a community, the size of the entire stage. And the joy of that cast looking at each other and knowing they're creating and knowing what that idea was. And it was completely organic and sort of arose. And it was simple and clear and beautiful and profound. And I would cry every night. I was like, this is only us. And it represented so much. And, you know, the, the thing when you talk about the surveys and everything, here's the thing, you know, we're, we're interesting as creatures, right? We want what we know, but then we also want what we don't. You know, it's this interesting thing. And what I find is like, you, you mentioned that, the shows that are new to people, when we succeed, and that's everyone's own judgment, actually make them happier. You know, when I talk to the subscribers, their memories are always like, I didn't know this show. I mean, oh my God, we loved it. And I didn't know this. And I didn't, you know, like, there's nothing better than a surprise. And, you know, if somebody chooses to, to be a subscriber with us, we're sort of doing this long-term journey together. You know, you're gonna get, we're gonna give you a glorious summer. We're gonna give you an adventure over seven shows. And we're gonna build in time a whole series of memories and experiences. And we're gonna give you some surprises, some things like the weight of that actually is very heavy on me. 
we have to deliver things where people come and go, I don't know what this is, which I get, you know, I'm sometimes we're like, I don't know this show. I'm like, do you have Google? Like, <laughs> you know, but you know, I'll get it. They, you know, they come in and then they're like completely opened and amazed and surprised. If it's something they know, and this is where Matt was so beautiful last summer with Sound of Music, that, that's almost even harder because you're carrying so much history and so much weight and so many memories with it. How do we get you to gently put that aside and re-enter the story and the show so it actually feels new to you? So you actually are reminded of why you loved it in the first place. And the genius that Matt Kunkel did last summer with Sound of Music, he's doing Camelot this summer, is he pulled the play back out. He pulled the story. I had so many people say to me, I didn't realize it was that good a story. I didn't realize it was that, you know, that last half hour is unbelievable, you know, yeah. with all of that. And, and he honored that and, and made it real and, and vibrant. So each one of these things has its own sort of, I have my own mental challenge with the audience. You know, I would say one of the greatest moments and, you know, you, you've probably seen the news where, and it's a, a, a huge tribute to the community and to the board and everybody in the Muni, but we completed the $100 million campaign. We raised 101 million. And for this community to do this for this theater and what it means and what it says to the world about St. Louis, I'm, I'm in awe and it's, it's so grateful. Very early on when we were soliciting, you know, quiet big gifts from major donors, which is how you work a campaign. And, you know, St. Louis has such generous people. It's unbelievable. And I was talking to um, a couple who were considering a major gift and the husband was very engaged in this. And I noticed that the wife was not. And I thought, well, maybe musical theater is not her thing. And she, she suddenly looked at me and she goes, I went to one show last summer. And I said, oh, great. What did you see? And she said, I saw Annie. And I thought, mm, okay. I said, okay, well, I hope you enjoyed it. She goes, I hate Annie. I said, okay. She goes, I loved it. I loved your production. Why did I love your production? And I just burst out laughing because I realized this woman had been wrestling with for months why she loved <laughs> Annie, right? And I said, oh, I can actually answer that. And we literally had a 30 minute conversation breaking down the dramatic structure of Annie and the choices and everything and why it was and what the impact was. And she was so engaged in this conversation. I cherish it. And then, you know, fortunately, they ended up giving us a, a beautiful gift. I, I, you know, I don't want to, but, you know, but that's what people have in their heads when they sit down at the Muni. They have these things and these perceptions and these histories and these biases and this openness, whatever it is. And we have to be aware of that, know it, honor it, wrestle with it, but take them to a new place. I'd love to see the kid reactions, but before we wrap up, I want to talk about the capital campaign and, and what that means to your efforts, the new stage and, and everything. But I've often mentioned this in my reviews of the kids walking out and talking to their parents and I'll overhear them. Like a, a mom asked a, a boy after Tarzan, did you like it? He goes, I didn't like it. I loved it. And then this little girl walking out with her dad from 42nd Street, and she had worn her tap shoes to the show. And he had to stop every couple feet because she was dancing. She just kept dancing. And uh, 
you know, she was like, just like, I'm going to be on that stage someday, you know? And I just think that that just is adorable. And then it, and it creates this generational moment with people. And it also fuels people's local dreams because we all know people from here who have gone on to great success. And we also know people who uh, have, uh, you know, just their career arcs, their career journeys. But the fact that that you engage a variety of generations and also people that might not have ever had an opportunity to see a show, because Ken Page talks about how he sat in the free seats when he was growing up watching the shows. And you just don't know what impact you're going to have on people collectively. I remember the opening night of Spamalot when it was just sheets of rain. It was just this monsoon. And I had my car parked in the in the the park and I was just like, are we gonna do this or not? And then miraculously, uh, the Muni started and I remember so many guys there, so many guys were in the audience and I just looked around and they had the biggest grins on their faces that just the fact that they were seeing spam a lot. And I just think these, you're reaching people that aren't the usual theater goers that maybe just come to the Muni because that's what their wife wants to do or the kids wanna come to be with their parents. And that's just such a wonderful gift that is unique. You're always saying alone in its greatness, but it's the small little details to me, that is what keeps us, uh, that keeps the Muni tradition going. Yeah, I would say, you know, you can't, you know, I, I would say this is the most Broadway professional, high-end, uh, I'm not gonna say community theater, theater in the country that serves, that lives to serve a community. And that's very satisfying to everybody who comes and works here. It is a different energy. You know, you have that ritual, you have people who, you know, when we do the, um, the, the big family show, this season, Mary Poppins, you know, when I talk to the company, I will talk about this. There will each night be, you know, 2000 kids who have never been to the theater before and odds are their parents haven't either. You know, that is, and also in just sort of the bigger picture, I would also offer personal observation that I think the Muni is one of the few public spaces, institutions in St. Louis, maybe I would argue, arguably the only one where everybody walks in very aware and fine and comfortable that they're going to be sitting next to people who are very different from them. In fact, it's part of the pleasure of the experience. Like you see that in the audience and that particularly right now feels really important and a gift and to be cherished and protected and celebrated. You know, so that energy, that idea that you talk about that's coming from within the audience and you get it with age and you get it with, you know, geographic and you get it with all, every idea of diversity is there, you know, so that's that's creating for that's serving a very special audience and idea and you also have you know god love our subscribers people who've been with us for decades and decades they've seen everything you know they're not an easy you know they're not an easy mark like they're sitting there 
with a sense of judgment and awareness and history and knowledge. So, you know, I, I, I what I say to people who never worked there before, it is, the, it is the energy and the closest thing you'll have to, for a theater, for a sports team where they want us to win. And when we do, when we meet that standard for them, whatever it is, there's such excitement and such pride because it's about, again, Mike Nichols, it's about them. And that's a very, you know, evolving, but it, it is the conversation that um, always needs to be served. You know, as I say to people, it was a civic idea first and then it evolved into an artistic idea. But you can't under, you must always know what those roots are and make sure you're serving those to the best of your ability, which, you know, I mean, we have the elements, we have the free seats, we have the education programs, we have a lot that's there, but foremost is that sense of real community when you're sitting in there. Well, a friend of mine has season tickets for years and uh, he has since passed away, but he had a, a specific area and he would talk about how the first show, this whole group of people would all reunite and see each other is like yeah. a little class reunion and they'd spend the whole summer together. And then the final show, they'd be all like, see you next year. But those bonds that form in just the sections of the same seat holders, and then it's their family and everybody gets to know everybody. And, and that's something very unique too. I, I don't think that that happens. No, it's, it's quite unique. The other thing that happens that it took me a couple of seasons to realize that with the classics, meaning those shows that have been a part of the Muni repertoire for decades, I would see people and not only were they sort of calling upon memories of the last time they've seen the show, but I mean, I'm beginning to live this. You begin to realize who you were at that point and who you were with and who may not be with you anymore or who's with you now, who wasn't, you know, I mean, that's the thing about, you know, the seven, eight year thing, what I try to do for the classics, it's a little different, you know, here's the thing. We did Mary Poppins in, I always forget this. I guess it was, was it my first season? 22, it's either 2012 or 2013. I think it was 2012. Okay, let's say 2012. So now this is 2022. I would say that 40% of the audience for the show was not born the last time we did it. You know, you have, to, you have to look at it that way because there's this arc of history that goes on. So you're, you're inventing for essentially a whole new audience. And Rob McClure was Bert, and now he's a Tony yeah, for Mrs. Duff. So yeah. it's it's just you know you get to be you get to be these you know these favorites. Well, talking about the legacy, we have the Muni kids that are going to be there performing Monday night at five thirty, and uh, they're going to be on the donor stage, which is new because of the capital campaign. So where is that at? Where is the donor stage? Uh, the donor, donor plaza. The donor, the donor plaza um, is in our east um, plaza area um, over by where Culver uh, Pavilion is, um, but it's on the outside of the property. So just as you're entering the property, um, there's a new donor wall there um, with all of the names who have contributed to the uh, capital campaign. Um, and there's a nice uh, garden walk there, but they will be uh, gathered there um, to sing Step in Time. Uh, for Mary Poppins, so. which will be adorable. 
And yes. uh, also, um, if you want to see the all the press release, muni.org, you can find all the news. You have that nice newsletter that you send out uh, inside number one Muni Drive. Yep. And that'll fill you in. And I was delighted to see all the pictures from your garden party that uh, celebrated the end of the campaign. And Kofi uh, is officially, uh, you know, he has taken over Denny's role. But Denny is honored with a statue, which is beautiful. And I want to know where the statue is so I can make a beeline for it next time I'm there. The statue is also in the donor plaza area. Um, so you will pass the wall and there's a nice walkway with medallions with some other donor names on it. And Denny is along that walkway or his statue, I should say. Okay. Cause that just captures him so perfectly. Yeah. Who's yeah. the, who's the artist that did that? Um, that is Harry. Um, Mike, do you remember that his name? I don't, I'm sorry. Denny was always there in his blazer or his sport coat every, and I used to think, oh my God, it's a hundred degrees, Denny, <laughs> you know, and he would, yeah. he would be wearing that coat and he would be right there and he would be introducing. And that picture of him and his family, that little, that little grandson with the jacket on just cracks me up. And so yeah. go see the pictures on the Muni website and my website, poplifestl.com does have the press release about the end of the capital campaign. Now the stage, you've talked about the improvements to the stage, which are fabulous because you have the lift now and it always gets applause. Whatever happens, some dramatic lift, the audience goes crazy. And then the wings as they should. Yes. It's just (laughs) such a great element to have that on the stage now. To have the yeah. ability to have. I mean, the the gift, the word is too small to even really say what it is, but the gift of the new James S. McDonald stage is that it allows us to tell the stories with the technology and the tools of today. And just the simplest way I describe it is with our old stage, we, we had no real ability to do most of the contemporary musicals because the scripts uh, have a lot of short scenes. They're written in a different form and they're all full of the word suddenly. And we didn't have suddenly. We didn't have, because suddenly was 20 yards off stage. And now we have the tools to make it more cinematic, to make it more beautiful. The new lighting system is unbelievable. I mean, that was the thing about, uh, you know, I would say the other memory of last season was, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers was the most astonishingly beautiful production I think we'd ever created in terms of the lighting and the, and the sets and everything. It just was like, it had a poetry of those people living outdoors that was unbelievable. And again, these are the things we're discovering we can do now. Um, so all of it just allows us to do work that is more visually exciting, electric, uh, and um, feels today. You know, that the, the old stage, we were in danger of becoming a museum. And that was never the intention or the design of the Muni. The Muni was always supposed to be about that night, everybody in the seats. Yes, we have this glorious history and thanks to the campaign, we have a future, but really it's about right there, 815, what are we experiencing? 
how are we alive together? And we needed, we needed the ability to meet that need. And the stage gives us that. I love when the show starts and the audience sees the set and they applaud the set. Mm-hmm. Before As anybody. they should. <laughs> before anybody's out. Again. But the LED screen has really enhanced things the past few years. And you can see the technology wise. I noticed in all the touring shows at the Fox is that the sets are so different now. They're just these, uh, they're using LED so much to and recreate. We were there first, Lynn. We were I know. There first. No, but, but I mean, uh, joking aside, part of, again, it's the idea of a musical. It's a di- idea of the night of the theater. And you need to use musically, scenically, things that the audience knows to tell your story, to open them up, to bring them in. For better or worse, we're living a life with screens. We're very comfortable with that imagery, with that sense of storytelling. It feels today. And so to not use it, particularly in a space like the Muni where the colors give you so much more and, you know, the, you know, it's what paint was 200 years ago, you know, in a sense, like it's, it's, it's creating a whole new, new world. And we're still, you know, getting used to it and learning it. And the dressing rooms, when when I saw pictures of the old spaces and the guys that do all the tech, their offices, I was just like, oh, my God, this looks like an old like when I was in college, you know, 40 years ago, that looked like those buildings back then. I was like, oh, my God. Uh, So the fact that you've had such a great upgrade and the people of St. Louis have been so generous, it's really great for us theater goers and people do notice. And when I wanted to make sure uh, it's Harry Weber, who is the artist of that statue. Um, He's done the sports figures all around the country, um, including uh, Bush Stadium. Oh, Okay. He did the Dred Scott um, statue at the old courthouse downtown. Oh, well, thanks for that. Because I just was, when I saw that statue, I I was like, I got to know who that is because it's just really so perfect. Because not all of them capture somebody like that, but it just captured Denny so perfectly. What else is new at the Muni this summer that you want to mention? I can speak um, to the pre-show. Um, people are used to, you know, back by the free seats and coming in that way. People are used to performances on the east and west lawns, um, but also up in Lichtenstein Plaza, um, up by the free seats, we're going to have a Broadway DJ every night um, who will be doing uh, Broadway show tunes, remixes, and Broadway trivia. Um, so it'll be a fun party. Um, before the show, you know, get them in the mood for what they're about to see. And um, it'll be a lot of fun up there. So make sure people, you know, go up there and check that out um, and venture, you know, from their norms and, you know, explore all of the campus at the Muni. Um, um, create a moment. That's what the Muni magic is, is real. Yes. You never know where it's going to strike, but it's just so fun to, to see it. And uh, you do a great job with the YouTube Muni channel. I love going back and seeing the highlights of the season. And there is one of the capital campaign to show all the improvements in several minutes. I watched it the other day 
And uh, I just think it's, it's great that you keep people informed, but you also keep this connection with the community by this is what we're doing here. So, well, thank you so much for your time. We have Chicago, June 14th, uh, 13th, and then we have Mary, Pop uh, Mary Poppins is next. That is July 5th. Oh, Camelot's next, Camelot. yeah. June 22nd. And then we have July 5th for Mary Poppins, Sweeney Todd, July 16th, Legally Blonde, July 25th, Color Purple, August 3rd, the second premiere, which I'm very excited about. And uh, that is a beautiful score. That is just beautiful and a beautiful story. And I love the, uh, the stage adaptation from the Spielberg movie. And uh, Joseph is August 12th. We're gonna close it out. So that is, uh, that's just, I just applaud all your, uh, uh, meeting the challenges of the last couple of years because I know it's not been easy at oh, all. No, <laughs> it's, and it's still it's, and it's still fluid because yeah. this isn't going away. We now have that AB variant. We saw in January when the prom uh, national tour was shut down, and then opening night at the Fox, it had eight replacement cast members. Yeah. So it's still. Uh, is still part and there were like five shows from January that were moved by local companies so it's still a thing so you have the safety protocols in place I'm sure because of actors equity right oh yeah oh yeah no we're in a constant conversation with them and um, yeah yeah it helps that we're outdoors but we have very strict protocols yeah which is great well thank you so much for your time uh anything that you want to mention that we haven't gone over <laughs> just single tickets go on sale monday so come on down um to the muni for some fun festivities or muni.org or metrotix which is 314-534-1111 and it is a less than a month away yes very exciting and it's exciting for me my first season so I'm excited for you, Eric. So I know you have Saint, you have experience in St. Louis and then you yes. were in Pennsylvania yes. at the great Fulton right. yes. Playhouse yeah. in yeah. Lancaster. And yeah. then now you're back in St. Louis. We love having you back. And it'll yeah, be fun. I, it's great being back. It's definitely at home. So. Well, thank you all. You have a great uh, rest of summer. I know you're probably working 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah. Thanks, Lynn. Yeah, thank Take you. care. Have a great you weekend. Too. Too.